Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content marketing in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and I'm delighted that you've joined me once again this week. Now, It's a different podcast this week, and I'll come to the details of just exactly how we're going to put it together. Um, The other week, we did try something a bit different where we took some question and answer, and we got some good feedback that that was of use, and so we're deciding to change it up again this week. But before we get to the explanation of what we're doing this week, it's time for the definition. So content marketing is a repeatable, measurable, and strategic business process that relies on the creation curation and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So that is what we're talking about. Now, yeah, just a bit of a change up. It was not last Friday, but the Friday before we held as part of Innovation Month here in Australia, Innovation Month in the Australian government, we put together an event and it was called The Case for Content. And we were very, very lucky to have three senior government communicators here in Australia to come and tell their stories about how they are using content to solve some quite specific business problems that they've got, uh, to improve policy input, to look at how they're communicating around regulation and service and uh, program delivery as well. And so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is bring those presentations to you. And today we will hear from Kim Ulrich, who is the Assistant Secretary at the Federal Department of Communications. And she's got some really good insights into how they are using content in the terms of um, policy development and how they take discussion papers, atomize the discussion paper, get the content out there. But I'll leave that for you um, for a little bit later on in terms of this podcast. But what I thought I'd do um, is give you a, the intro, uh, and I'll read you the intro that I gave at um, the case for content, which really just sets up the broad parameters of what we discuss here uh, on In Transition every week around the value of content and content marketing for government in being able to explain um, you, yourselves and ourselves to the citizens and stakeholders that we need to engage with. And so I thought I'd go through and read that uh, rather than just play what play you um, my introduction, because in fact, I went back and just tidied it up a little bit because I felt it was a little bit untidy um, at the actual event. But it was Friday the 22nd of July at the College of Business and Economics at the Australian National University here in Canberra. And uh, interestingly, we'll have some news for you in the next little while in terms of a research partnership that we are uh, trying to kick off with the Australian National University with the help of the federal government, where we have got research funding to continue our work in terms of developing uh, our content marketing process that we hope is going to become something of a standard for government and public sector organisations, not only here in Australia, but around the world. So more about that later. So what we're going to do is I will read this intro and then we will throw to Kim Ulrich's presentation. Then off the back of that, I'll pick it up and then we'll say goodbye. So should be about the same amount of time, uh, about half an hour. 
So here we go. I did say, I did welcome everybody, and I said, hi, I'm David Pembroke, but most of you already know that. But the event we've named is The Case for Content. However, I did consider an alternative, welcome to the revolution, but I thought arguing for the afternoon off to attend a revolutionary uprising might not have gone too well with your bosses. But in my view, we are in a revolution, particularly as it relates to the technology and tools that we now use every day in our jobs. And when I say we, I don't just mean government communicators because technology has changed the way the world communicates and it's having a direct and substantial impact on every area of the operation of government and public sector organisations, be it policy development, regulation, program or service delivery. Effective communication with citizens and stakeholders is no longer just the responsibility of the communication area. It's a job for everyone. The stunning and transformational reality is that technology has democratised the factors of media production and distribution. We all now have the technical capability to be our own media company on behalf of the departments and agencies whose stories we are seeking to tell. We no longer have to buy ink in 44-gallon drums. We don't need to own transmission towers. We don't need printing presses or distribution trucks to create and distribute content that will help us to get to know and build loyal and engaged audiences for our story over time. The era of the media monopoly is over, and that capability is now in your hands. The challenge and the opportunity is how we use this gift as a way to build understanding and to create value for citizens and stakeholders. I would argue that in the past, communication by and large has not been a major priority for most governments. We, as government communicators, have singularly failed in our efforts to establish the value of what we do and our credentials as creators of strategic business value. We've been seen as an end-of-the-line service provider delivered once the hard work and thinking of policy, program or regulation design has been completed. But now, that's as much our fault as it is anybody else because we have not effectively described nor explained the value that we can create. And therefore, we have not earned a seat at the decision-making table. I also believe that in terms of communication, government shares the behavioural characteristics of a monopolist and information is often delivered on a take-it-or-leave-it basis. People are compelled to engage with us to understand the policy, program, service or regulation detail, so we leave it up to them to do their best to find and then understand information that is often poorly explained and largely impenetrable. But this reality is changing, and it's changing fast. In the age where advice to government is increasingly contestable and most citizens and stakeholders carry around supercomputers in their pockets, which gives them not only access to the world's information, but a highly effective megaphone, it's critical for us to be more understanding of the needs of our citizens and stakeholders. Citizens have now been socialised by the high-quality customer-centric experiences delivered by private sector businesses and brands, and they now expect the same sort of service and engagement experience from government. 
As far as our political leaders are concerned, the priority importance of clear and effective communication between governments and citizens is obvious. Here's a quote from the Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull from December of last year. And this is the Prime Minister speaking. Arguably, the first challenge is to get the message out, watchfully monitoring and carefully explaining that the emerging challenges posed by globalisation, convergence and rapid technological change are all forces that are not going away. And here is another quote from the Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull at about the same time. Leaders must be decision makers, but they must be above all explainers, advocates, unravelling complex issues in clear language that explains why things have to change and why the government cannot solve every problem. Now, I appreciate that the role of public servants around the world is not to advocate for policy, but our role as government communicators is most definitely to explain policy, program, services and regulation. And it's fair to say that while this transformational capability in terms of the way technology has changed, communication is now in our hands, we are only at the very beginning of our understanding of how to make the most of it and how to use it effectively to build trust and confidence through content. Now, here's a quote from the Federal Reserve Bank Governor of Australia, Glenn Stevens, from his end-of-year interview last year with the Australian Financial Review. And I think this is really telling. He said, There is a need for a serious conversation with the electorate about the future. Not to get into slogans and name-calling. There is a need for nuances to be understood. Have we built a platform for the public understanding over the last 10 years? No. The legacy is that when you want people to understand... There is no way of doing it. Now, when the governor talks about a platform, in my view, he's not talking about a single destination where we would all talk about every government issue. What he's talking about are the thousands of places where government and citizens and stakeholders interact. The places where you, on a daily basis, are creating meaning and understanding with citizens and stakeholders. They are the places where you work every day and they are the places where you execute your mission as a government communicator. Now, this particular failing of a lack of a platform for creating understanding between citizens and, uh, and government is not unique to Australia. Look no further than Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or Brexit and our most recent federal election as here in Australia, which are examples of where a lack of effective government communication and engagement contributes to a lack of trust and confidence, not only in government, but the broader political system. Now, in an interview last week, the latest cabinet minister here in Australia, Senator Matt Canavan, said that trust was the biggest issue in the most recent federal election, that people don't trust what politicians and governments say. Now, in my experience, there are many things that build trust, but effective communication is right at the top of the list. Trust is built over time. You build trust by doing what you say you're going to do. You build trust by standing in the shoes of the citizens and stakeholders we all seek to serve and use their perspective 
to create meaningful and relevant content that will explain why things are happening. In the distracted, hyper-busy and attention-deficient world in which we all live and work, it takes time to earn the attention of citizens. You have to be consistent, you have to be relevant, and you have to be turning up time and time again. Because people now have so many choices as to where to apply that very scarce resource of theirs, which is their attention. We have to be communicating in a way that is both valuable and meaningful. The challenge for those of us with responsibility to explain government policy programs, services and regulation to citizens and stakeholders is to communicate respectfully through multiple online and offline channels that our communication is aligned, that it's effective and that point again, that it's consistent. Now, my argument is that technology has given us the gift to be our own media company. We can now go direct to use content to build trusted relationships with audiences over time. But we have to do it reliably and effectively. And to do it, we need a process like content marketing. Content marketing is a measurable, strategic and repeatable business process that relies on the curation, creation and distribution of useful, relevant and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. It's a process that can, over time, play a role in building trust. If we take on the challenge of looking at issues through the eyes of the citizen or stakeholder, the way we tell our stories will change. The focus of those stories will change. The language we use will change. The tone and the meaning we create will change. And we will distribute those stories in very different ways. I'm delighted that we have had such a great response to this innovation event here at the Australian Business and Economic School. And I know we are only at the very beginning of this journey of helping government and public sector organisations to become better storytellers, to become more reliable storytellers, and to tell stories that will resonate and will engage with citizens so we can better explain ourselves and they can better understand us so we can build those trusted relationships over time. So that was the end of my uh, presentation that started off the whole day. And then we, we had uh, Hank Yongan, which we will feature in the next week or so, and uh, Trish Johnson also from uh, the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. But the presentation that we'll feature today is from Kim Ulrich. Now, Kim is the Assistant Secretary of Digital Communications for the Department of Communications. Kim has extensive experience in the public sector. She was the Assistant Secretary of Border and Counterterrorism Policy um, at the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. She was the National Manager of Strategy, Policy and Stakeholder Engagement for the Australian Crime Commission. She was the Assistant Secretary of Marketing and Communication for the Department of Human Services, and she has done a lot, lot more. Now, I think the great insights that Kim brings to this is the way she talks about using content marketing as a way to improving community consultation and stakeholder engagement. So I'm sure you'll enjoy this presentation. So Ladies and gentlemen, Kim Ulrich. Thanks, David. Um, so the other bit of the resume that he didn't read out is that I'm a big nerd. Um, 
hence why I work at Department of Communications and the Arts and um, hopefully my Pokemon Go notifications have been quieted for you for the period that I'm speaking today. So um, we were actually going to do a pokey walk today but I'll get to that in the context of building internal capability in a moment. Um, so from, look, from my perspective, um, Hank, I actually worked with Hank, so he, I don't know if you want to call me a protege, Hank, but I've worked with Hank and been lucky enough to do that and I understand a little bit about the context of some of the stuff that he talked about. DHS in the context of the public sector is, is mammoth compared to our little minnow department um, in terms of our size. We don't have the sort of interaction with the public that DHS does. Um, so I'll talk to you about the context of what we do in content and the work of our branch in the context of supporting the business. So coming back to how do we align ourselves in terms of adding value to the business. So the digital strategy that was mentioned um, at the beginning is something that we developed in the context of where we were as an organisation. It was about 2013, about late, well, mid-2013. We did some research, online research, and out of that research we found that our departmental website and other things we were doing weren't really hitting the mark. Um, people expected us to be a digital leader, and we weren't being a digital leader. They said, you're the department that we expect to be out there doing that, and you're not. Um, so we had a little bit of a, okay, thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> thanks for that feedback, or let's do something about it. <laughs> um, so we did develop a digital strategy, and um, we brought in some external, um, an external consultant to help us do that, because at that point we didn't feel like we had the capability um, to do it all on our own, but it, it was very much aligned at the time to where the organisation was going. So the organisation at that point was looking at um, how we would make sure we're staying abreast of digital technologies, the department's role, um, is around advising government on policy in relation to those sorts of areas. So, you know, how do we not only understand those things, but how do we as an organisation also live them? Um, so that was where we came in. So I'm just going to give you a couple of case studies. Um, and in talking about our role as a department that has a... We do have programs and we do run some grants, particularly in the arts side um, and in regional Australia in relation to mobile black spots. Um, but our primary focus is still policy. And I think even on the arts side, there'll be a bit of a shift more towards policy um, over the next three, three years of this current government. So um, the triple zero case study is what I'm going to talk about. So when we, we did our digital strategy, one of the things we talked about was how we could be relevant um, and how we could be um, responsive to people and how we engage the community in the work that we do and explain the policy work of the department. So everyone would know what triple zero is. Um, hopefully most people haven't had to use triple zero, but at some point most Australians possibly will. Um, so it's something that most Australians are quite interested in and where we're at with triple zero is that um, it hadn't really changed in terms of the way it was being delivered for a very long time, hadn't really evolved. And if you think about the way we work now, most of us have our smartphones or other devices, we use apps, we have GPS, um, not just for Pokemon Go, um, but we do, you know, we have GPS and these other technologies and, you know, triple zero was still primarily voice voice calls. So, you know, how, how do you take that forward? What are the public looking for in terms of how they want to interact with something as important as the triple zero service? So we sat down with, um, to, with the relevant line area and we said, what have, what have you got? And as, as usual, they had developed a fantastic issues discussion paper that they wanted to put out to the community and um, out to their stakeholders. And they'd done a lot of stakeholder consultation. The one thing the department is very good at is in terms of its key stakeholders, they're very good at that consultation. Um, but they often don't think about, to be honest, going beyond that key set of stakeholders. So we sort of said, well, look, 
From our perspective, there is a real interest in this as an issue in the broader community. Rather than, you know, you've, you're already talking to your key stakeholders and that's fantastic and that's really important, but why don't we have a look at what some of these issues are and let's push that out to the community for their view. Um, so that's what we did. And, um, and this was, you know, something that the department was a little bit nervous about at first, um, I'll be honest, but what we did is my team sat down with that line area and they went through that big paper and they identified the content gems, that's what I will call them. So there were things in there, you know, like, again, around GPS, around smartphones, around um, apps and various other things. And we said, OK, they're the things that we'll put into a little short survey and we'll say to people, are these the sort of things you would like in terms of how you want to interact with triple zero? Um, normally we would get anywhere between sort of, well, depending on what the consultation is, anywhere up to around, around about 100 to 200 responses to a call for um, consultation around a policy issue. We got over 2,500 responses. Now, how do we did that was apart from identifying those gems of content and working that up into a short survey, we then developed content to support that. So you know, heard Hank talk about social content. We developed up really great little packages of social content and we pushed that out through our channels, but we also pushed it out through stakeholders. So we worked with the line area and we said, who are the key stakeholders? And they're, they're fairly obvious ones. They're police and emergency services are your key ones. And they have phenomenal reach, so much better than us in terms of their networks. And we went, okay, let's see what we can package up for them. Let's send something out that they can package out for us to get more people to come to that, um, to that web page and fill in that survey. And that's where we landed. So it was our first foray into a really much more of a digital engagement in terms of policy. Um, and it was prior to us developing our communications website. It was happening sort of at the same time as our communications.gov.au website redevelopment, which has a, a specific policy consultation section. So it was our four, first foray. We were able to go back to our executive and say, look, we, we did this. This has actually been a really great way to get a much broader and inclusive view on these issues from the community. Um, that report at the moment, unfortunately, was ready to go to the minister just when caretaker hit. Um, so it's um, hopefully going to be coming out in terms of the response to, to all of that feedback from the community, which is fantastic. Okay, so the next one I just want to quickly talk about is the Regional Telecommunications Independent Review. So as a department, um, we have a focus on telecommunications, not just for metro and urban areas, but across the whole country. And every few years, um, we're required to undertake an independent review. So that is an independent committee, which is supported by a secretariat within the department. Um, now that review, as you can imagine, um, is pretty, there's a lot of people in regional Australia who are pretty interested in that work. Um, again, what we did is, even though it was ind an independent review, we worked with the line area, um, looked at what was in that, um, in the discussion paper. Again, the line area had developed up a discussion paper with the, with the review committee. And we said, okay, what again can we get out of that that we can put into um, you know, sort of a, sh a short survey, push that out and seek views. And we all know as ourselves, people are time poor. Again, they're not going to necessarily read 120 pages of a discussion paper. They want it made simple for them. So pull out again the gems in the content, make it easy, um, encourage them to go to that, give them the call of action through the social content, which we did. And we used the, um, the heads of the committee, the independent um, heads of the committee to actually push it out through their networks and we sent it out through various regional networks as well who are key stakeholders. So we asked them to use their networks again. So again, it's that on almost on-selling 
um, of the message. And for us, um, you know, again, that was a very specific review. It had a very short time period, but we got over 400 responses to that um, and quite a few through that um, survey. So that was fantastic and we're really happy about that. Now, that report was tabled in late October last year and the government released its response in February this year. And what we did do was push back our communication. So this is something um, that I'm also quite, you know, um, passionate about in, in that... You can't just push something out there and say, tell us what you think, and then don't tell them what happens with it. You're welcome to go and have a look at communications.gov.au. Um, this is the Have Your Say. This is the top of the Have Your Say page. So you can see up the top here we have the Have Your Say. You click on that and you get a little thing of, you know, this is what we're about. We want to know um, what you think about particular issues. And if you go to the website and scroll down, you'll see a whole lot of consultations that we've undertaken. And then each of our, if you go to the communications site, you'll also see on each of the key um, parts of the site, these little short videos. So talking about engaging people in the work that you do, one of the takeouts for us from the research I mentioned that we did in 2013 was that most people didn't understand what the department did um, and didn't understand, people don't even understand actually what policy means. What does policy mean? Um, so we did these little sort of one minute videos for each of the key areas of work across the department and with the Have Your Say we did a little animation as well which is just about why we're doing this, why we want to hear from you and how we're going to work with you. Um, so I won't go into that, but encourage you to go and have a look at that <coughs> today. So the other part of all of that is we were focusing around all of that. We've also done as part of the digital strategy, a whole social media playbook. And for most of you, that you know what that means. Um, but essentially, it's our operational guide for how we're going to do social. And um, we're six months, just over six months in from um, releasing that. And we've, I think we've made some really great headway in terms of our social content. We're really lucky talking about having being a bit subversive and having a little bit of personality. We like to do that. Um, and if you look at our Twitter account, you'll see that we've had some really interesting little tweets in there. Um, one of them not that long ago, I think it might have been last week or the week before, was in relation to Pokemon Go and the game got classified. We have classification as part of the, the department. So we had a little Pokemon sitting on a desktop with the, the Department of Comms in the background on the screen and it's, you know, Pokemon Go has been classified PG. Um, and then when Star Wars The Force Awakens again, yes, I went to see that. Um, when that came out, when that came out, we did manage to get a, a Star Wars image and we had, you know, this is the rating you've been looking for. And that, and that was the tweet that we went with. So we like to try and have a little bit of fun um, with what we do with, while still showing that we're, um, you know, we're government and we are trustworthy. We do have a little bit of personality. So the other bit I just want to talk about is building capability internally. So the other part of the work um, around the digital strategy was all this external work that we've been doing, but then it was building up the internal capability. And we define digital literacy in three ways. So being digitally curious, being digitally effective, and being digitally confident. Um, and what we mean by that is that we want our staff to be able to be curious about trying new things. And for example, it might sound bizarre, but yes, we do do things like Insta walks and pokey walks at lunchtime. Might sound crazy, but we do it. Um, we do sessions lunchtime, brown bag sessions, where we take people through Twitter and Facebook and we show them TweetDeck and all sorts of interesting things. Um, so we want them to be curious about those things. We want them to be effective. We want them to then know how to use those platforms and we want them to be confident about it. So this was, when I talk about it, I'm talking mainly about the, the social, digital, external engagement, but the digital literacy program also picked up um, our internal business systems. So things like our finance systems and um, you know, our parliamentary systems and things like that. So do people know, rather than just picking up the phone and ringing the person in that line area, 
and saying, oh, how do I, how do I do this? How do I do that? You know, we did little bespoke videos. We did lots of kits. We did lots of lunchtime sessions. Um, so that's just, you know, making sure that, that staff know how to use that, those things. And that sounds simple, but it's, it's actually really powerful. So that's where we were going with that one. Um, when we were developing the digital strategy and we were looking at internal capability, one thing we did do was talk to the ABC and SBS. We're very fortunate they're part of our portfolio. And if you think about digital disruption, they're two agencies that have really had to tackle that and have put in place some really fantastic digital products. Um, we had Angela Clark come and talk to us last week or the week before, no, the week before, um, in the department as part of Innovation Month as well, and she heads up the digital network at ABC. And if you ever get the chance to go and hear Angela talk, I highly recommend it. She's just fantastic. So we took some, cue, some cues out of work that they'd done, and, and one of the things that ABC did on their digital literacy was reverse mentoring. So they actually matched up, um, you know, people who were a bit more digitally savvy with some of the journos and others in the organisation who are a little bit more resistant to the new technology. And I went, that's a great idea. I'm going to steal that and flog it across our department and they could go for it. Um, so we did that and we had, um, so in 2014, we had it launched, the Digital Literacy Training Program was launched by our previous secretary, Drew Clark, and Drew was one of the people who was mentored by one of our graduates. So they set up a time, they went and spoke, and they found out what Drew likes, you know, both professionally and in his personal life, you know, what things interested him, and then they showed him how to set up, you know, lists and do all sorts of stuff. So he, you know, he was like, oh, okay. Um, you know, how even to build your LinkedIn profiles and stuff like that. So, you know, that's the sort of stuff that we talked to our executive about. And I think that had a really positive impact on the rest of the organisation because they could see that our own executive were willing to be mentored um, around those issues and there are never any dumb questions. So that's, um, that was one part of it. Um, we also had a, a company come in and help us do a quick digital skills assessment. So if you're thinking about doing something like this, I recommend doing something like that as well, just to get a bit of a feel for what is the level of competency, um, confidence, uh, and effectiveness of the, the people within your organisation to be digital leaders. And, um, and out of the back of that, we identified a program which we developed and put in place. And as I said, while our focus within my branch is primarily on that sort of external digital and social stuff, we did also look at the internal platforms. We looked at calls to our IT help desk as well. What were most people calling them about? Um, and they were calling about things like video conferencing and our our electronic uh, management system, information system. So we did those things. We also had um, innovation labs. So we held innovation labs and we brought in people to talk about Google Glasses and all those sorts of cool, funky things. Um, and we do digital lessons. So every week we do a digital lesson and that used to go out via email. We've since launched our new intranet and it goes out onto the intranet, it's up on the intranet. Um, and they're all kept within um, our learning hub. So the whole program, the digital literacy program was developed in our branch. It got, uh, we ran it for six months, did a trial, tested it, got the evidence, went back to our executive and said, there is merit in continuing this. And they said, absolutely, keep going. But it's now being run through HR as part of L&D. So we were quite happy to sort of get it going and, and hand that on um, in the right way. So in terms of success, um, and David and I actually had a conversation about this the other day, you know, do we think we're having an impact in terms of the organisation and whether people do, you know, feel like they are achieving these sorts of goals. And I would say we're still on a journey, but we've definitely made some progress. So for example, when my guys go and sit with a line area and talk to them about content and what we can do around content um, and social content, it's not sort of like, why would you be doing that? Which is what we had very early on in the piece. It's now about, 
oh, okay, well, maybe we could also do this. So we're starting to get more buy-in and engagement within our line areas, which is really positive. And staff are really, you know, really engaging in um, and looking and trying different things. And one of the ways we've done that is through our new intranet. So I know DHS, for example, has had Yammer and um, things like that for some time. We, um, with our intranet, put in place a uh, internal social network within it, which is similar to sort of Facebook and Twitter and all of that. Um, and you can see that um, I had a question about innovation. We're doing, our, we're doing the innovation strategy in my branch as well at the moment and running a call for ideas through an online platform hooked to the intranet. <coughs> so someone sent me a message saying, you know, how are you going to, you know, talk about the ideas that are published? And then that's my response, which is just from yesterday, I think. I think it was yesterday. Um, so I just did a quick s snapshot of that just to show you. Um, and that's been really important because... We're talking and we're, we're talking to people about all the stuff we're doing. We're holding training with them. We're using our own staff, by the way, to do all those face-to-face -face training. I haven't used any external providers. It's all been our internal champions and experts in the department that we've used for that. So I've run the digital literacy training program for about five grand. This gave staff then the safe playground to practice what they'd been learning. And I think that's also really important. So one of the things we did find, though, is that when we delivered this intranet, and it was in July last year, so it's been going for about 12 months now, we had our executive saying, Anyone can post, anyone can comment, anyone can do that stuff. And we said yes, and they were like, Ooh. and we've had not one problem. Because as you can see, my face, my name, my handle is there. So if I want to go rogue and say, whatever, you know, it's at K Ulrich, okay, career limiting move, let's come and have a chat. <laughs> so we've had, we've had no issues with that. And I think, um, you know, it really has been a positive thing for the organisation. And we have been talking to a range of other agencies about sharing the code behind that um, with others, and we're always willing to do that as well. So that's probably enough for me. Again, I'm conscious of time, but I just wanted to give you the sort of focus in terms of the external work and then what we're doing internally as well. So I'll leave it there. Great. Thank you very much, Kim. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. I promised you and it delivered. That was a great presentation by Kim Ulrich. And I, I love the, 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 well, the two examples that she used about the discussion paper about the triple zero number and also the discussion uh, paper about the Regional Telecommunications Act and going out and trying to find people's views. Taking that journalism focus of those big discussion papers and finding the nuggets that she referred to and distributing those and also the way that um, the department used third-party distribution channels and third-party influences to try to, to get the story out wider than the normal suspects, the usual suspects that we hear from in terms of, you know, feedback to to discussion papers and, and policy positioning papers. So so there you go. Fantastic. I really enjoyed that. So, so thanks very much. And it was really a great event. And so, yeah, the next couple of weeks, um, we'll be bringing you more from the case for content. Thanks again uh, for joining us this week. I really do appreciate everything that you do. If you do have time to jump onto iTunes or Stitcher and give us a review, that would be much appreciated. I know it's a bit of a hassle. I tend not to do it, but there you go. I thought I'd ask anyway. Um, and the other thing is just to jump online. Uh, we're continuing to produce, I believe, some really high quality content in this space. Uh, so if you jump online uh, and give us your email subscription, or give us your email, we'll continue to um, walk in service of your needs as we try to turn government communicators into media companies so as that we can actually solve this problem of getting out there and building trust as we explain the policy services programs and regulations we're involved in. So there you go. Thanks again. Speak to you next week. You've been listening to In Transition, 
the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.